Hey, you're not going to bed yet, are you? That's right. It's time for TV Good, Sleep Bad. Daniel Lackey and Elwood Jones. Hello and welcome to TV Good Sleep Bad. I'm your host as always, Elwood Jones, and joining me, of course, is my co-host, Mr. Daniel Lackey. This is a local podcast for local people. There's nothing for you here. <laughs> Tonight we're on episode 37. We're going to be looking at the show which inspired Lost with the new people from 1969. We're also going to be looking at the first episode of season two of The League of Gentlemen. So we got a little bit of cult British comedy there for you as well uh but before we obviously get into that it's time to obviously ask what you've been watching and like i mean since the last episode because we've had a little bit of a longer break than uh usual between episodes because you know life's been busy and uh um, yeah what's been holding your interest what what has been holding my interest actually um so doctor who okay. yeah doctor chris chris chibnall has been lobbing some bombs at us um with the new season of doctor who um with I don't want to get the the I don't really want to get too into spoilers here. Although I think probably most people have been tracking the show, kind of know what's going on at this point. But the um, yeah, so the season premiere sprung the master on us again. All right, um, completely, complete. Uh, there was no um, there was no build up to this, so it was a, a complete shock on 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 my part. To find out, um, with uh, Sasha Dawan, um, uh, I know he's done. I know he's been in like other stuff, but I primarily remember him. Uh, they did a TV movie a few years ago um, about the early days of Doctor Who, and and in a hilarious bit of um, coincidence here, it was uh, written by Mark Gatiss, who we'll be talking about later on. Mark Gatiss being one of the League of Gentlemen. Yep. Um, but yeah, he played Wars Hussein. Sasha Dawan played. Wars Hussein, who was the um, uh, the director of the very first episodes of Doctor Who, and I know he's been. I know I've seen Sasha Dawan and a couple of other things. He might have done. Um, uh, maybe he was on um, called the Midwife or something like that. But um, so yeah, so he's the new master now, and and he's great. He's probably the first master on the new show that I've really liked, um, apart from if you count Derek Derek Jacobi. Um, but I felt. John Sim played him a little bit too campy. Yeah. And um, Michelle Gomez, it took me a while for for Missy to grow on me. And I did kind of eventually kind of come to dig her. But uh, no, this new master has just got me from the get-go. He's I, I love him. He's great. And um, really good actor as well. And then, yeah, um, 
this is a, this episode is uh this is um oh god should I talk about this? Let's just say I don't want to. Uh, there's there was a big mid season shock that I don't maybe want to get two people. I don't want to spoil for too many people, but yeah. I guess uh, uh you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna bite the bullet and I'm gonna hope that most people uh who follow Doctor Who or care about what I'm about to say already know this. So I guess scrubbed about a minute in the future. If you don't want to know what what happened on Doctor Who, yeah. So there's another secret um, Doctor that we didn't know about. Um, All right, so there's three Time Lords now because with the new when they revamped the series, it basically boiled it down to just like the Master and the Doctors being like the last right. two. Um, uh huh. And and that's all I I basically I've fallen out of Doctor Who, so I'm like seasons and seasons behind at this point um so uh-huh but i know yeah i know there was basically they boiled it down to two which was an interesting move because i mean obviously the time lords while they weren't this always this constant presence in the original series they were there when they needed to do something bigger dramatic like uh, trial of a time lord for example so no i don't i don't mean another time lord All right. i mean literally another incarnation of the doctor that we never knew about that is implied to possibly have been around uh before the hartnell doctor um and exactly how that's going to um uh shake out i'm not 100 percent sure um because it was a huge shock to the doc- it was a huge shock when the doctor encountered um, her because um, it's it's also a female incarnation played by I do not I am not recalling the the actress's surname but her first name is Joe. Um, you know what? Give me one second here. Let's um. I'm sure that the Listen. fanboys are real thrilled at the fact there's another female doctor because they. Always- oh, 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 oh! I'm sure that they're. I not only I'm sure. Not only are they thrilled that she's female. I think they're really. I think they're really, really, really thrilled that she's not white. Oh, great! Um, uh, da, 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 da. I do not. Uh, where is she? I don't know. But there's a. Um, I'm, I'm trying to look this up, but she is played by the... Joe is the only thing I remember about the okay. actress's name. Um, and I'm looking up, I'm furiously checking da, uh, the um, uh, Wikipedia, the uh, blah, 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 John, uh, John, uh, Dr., um, uh, not Dr., uh, Captain Jack showed up again, Joe Martin. Joe Martin is the actress's name. Um... She, I guess, has been on Holby City and a bunch of other things that I have never heard of before. Um, but yeah, so uh, yeah, so things have been pretty. Um, things have been pretty whatever on Doctor Who right now. A lot of a um, lot of plot developments causing you to uh, pick your jaw off the floor yeah. and say, "I didn't even remotely expect them to do that." So that that is uh, happening. Um, the good place had its finale over here. Um, I'm not going to give too much away about that because, um, again, that that's something with finales. Um, you know, finales are a little bit of a different thing, and I don't want to. I, I guess if you don't want to, you know, don't want to have a few mild spoilers for the good place. Uh, good place finale. You can just scrub forward until you hear somebody talking about um, the new people. Um, 
I almost said the tomorrow people, but yeah. So, um, all I, all I have to say, it was pretty much perfect. It was one of those situations with like, uh, where like breaking bad, like there were like two episodes before the end of breaking bad. Um, it was kind of like the climax and like the real, um, like the one that I think everybody would remember on Ozymandias was like the third to last, the second to last episode of good place, I think is going to really be kind of like the standout episode where people look at that and say that was the climax. But the finale, I think it was pretty much perfect, had uh, a couple of really neat cameos in it. Um, uh, Ted Danson's real life wife, real life wife, Mary Steenburgen showed up. Uh, Nick Offerman from Parks and Rec, Michael Shore's other show, the main show that he, I didn't say the other show because right now Michael Shore's other show is actually Brooklyn Nine-Nine because that is still in production. But yeah, Nick Offerman showed up. Uh, it predict he was, it was implied he was playing himself. Um, wrong with that. that was <laughs> nothing wrong with that. No. And, um, showing people how to, uh, woodwork. That was, that was brilliant. And, um, you know, I've never been a fan of the line. I was never a fan of parks and rec, but like as a person, I think Nick Offerman to me is just like the man. I remember even saying this on a podcast with Jason Soto once, mm. um, where, where to me, Nick Offerman is like the masculine ideal. <laughs> <laughs> he is. He's, he's about um, steak he's like, and whiskey and like... steak and whiskey, but he's not. He doesn't have all like the toxic masculinity that goes with no. it, you know. Um, yeah, he's he's pretty much like the ideal American male. You know, he's funny. He has a mustache, and he knows how to build a table. Um. <laughs> I think that's about it for me recently. I've been, um, things have been kind of cold here, and you would think that I would be watching more TV, but I, I really haven't been. Um, so those two are the, um, th- those two are what have been really kind of um, getting me lately, Doctor Who and um, Doctor Who and The Good Place, and um, Better Call Saul will be starting back up, I think, at the end of the month. Um, so now that, uh, now that Watchmen is, I guess, definitively not getting another season, um, really, that's uh, with Good Place gone, really, I need to start finding some new shows. Because right now, it's only like Doctor Who and Better Call Saul. And I don't think Better Call Saul really has much more. Uh, I think they're going to be, I think this is going to be the fifth season. And I don't really think it's got, I don't really see how it can go much further past, like, the sixth season. Um, particularly where we are, yeah. where, um, so you know where Jimmy has finally started to realize and accept his inner Saul and start using the name. So we're gonna, I think we're gonna see some really interesting stuff this new season. But I don't really see it going down more than another year. After um, I think I see it going to uh, six seasons, um, and uh, hopefully we'll get some more Rick and Morty this year. But what has been holding your attention? I mean, you just tried to remember when you said mentioned about Rick and Morty, because I don't know what the hell's happening with Rick and Morty. We, the last one that we seemingly had was the one where um, they re, rewrite Snake History. Right. And I've, we don't seem to have had anything since, and it seems like a real short season if that's it for this season. It's, 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 it's not. They're breaking, the, they're breaking the season up, is right. my understanding, that there's going to be... That was like the first half of the season... What is it? I think it's season four, season five now, and that the the other half will air sometime this year. I but nobody is entirely sure. I think it's season four we're on. 
Because, uh, yeah, season three had Ruick escape from jail. And that was right. where the Sashwan source craze came from with season three. Yeah. And then uh, season four is this one that we're on now with, which which I've really been enjoying. I think it's had some real standout moments. I think I've watched the snake history one at least three or four times now, and it's still funny. <laughs> the snake history one is just brilliant. It, it is. I'm not entirely sure I understand everything that's going on in it. Okay. It, I thought just the whole thing. But just the whole concept of going and, and just basically an entire, um, an entire, um, you know, just entire, you know, culture that's made of that's basically entirely like human culture, except it's just snakes mm. is kind of I, that's hilarious to me. I and see. that really is. Um, I think that one is the one that really kind of has the the kind of um, thing that that really kind of drags me that drags me that kind of really pulls me to rick and morty yeah because i think there the season what we've seen in season four has been kind of a mixed bag for me um there were a couple that really kind of um i wasn't really into um the one where they felt the need the one about the um the the and I guess this is kind of like a, a personal thing because I like heist movies and I like caper movies. Yeah. But the one, other than uh, you son of a bitch I'm in being an amazing catchphrase, yeah. I honestly felt that uh, that episode was a little bit um, condescending. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, it was, it thought it was smarter than it was. It was sort of like, oh, look, we pulled off this amazing heist within a heist within a heist within a heist and it was all like yeah it felt like they were going for like the um that's all on hardy style to do where we like build up we build up build up and it's like big payoff and it just didn't feel it just got overly complex and it was too until uh-huh. the too many pieces in motion with it and yeah i just that one didn't really connect with me as such uh-huh. um the dragon one was okay um but yeah, as I said, for some reason that that snake episode just cracked me up something rotten. Um, <laughs> it, it, it was it was amazing. It's it's it's. I think it's one of the all time classics for me. I think Rattlestar been... Rick Lack Lickla. Yeah, it's the, yeah. <laughs> I think it's mainly because it felt like it was taking the piss out of Arrival, which is why I liked it especially. <laughs> yeah, I have. I like. On the one hand, I like Arrival, but on the other hand, oh god, I can't there are things Arrival. about Arrival. There are things about Arrival. I kind of like Arrival in spite of itself. Let's put it like that. There are things that in Arrival really bugged me, and I actually spent a lot of time and never quite did work out exactly why I liked it more than technically speaking, I probably should have. Um, the whole thing, the whole thing with me about Arrival is just the whole thing about um, predestination. Uh, anything that really has to deal with predestination and isn't, you know, outright like people waving swords at each other yeah. and having prophecies, I don't tend to like that. It was especially if it's nominal science fiction, which Arrival is. Well, I mean, Arrival much like Annihilation. I think I was like in the minority because all the folks over at the Lamb love it. And, um, oh, I loved, I loved Annihilation. I know, Annihilation, it, it, I think it was the whole Lighthouse thing, which, much like 2001's um, I Don't Know How to End This Movie ending, um, 
It's like, I'll just throw <laughs> randomness at the screen. I'm fucking Kubrick. I can do this. And then one's going to love it. Yeah, that's what that movie felt like. Um, but yeah, with Arrival, it felt like, oh, I'm watching somebody play Pictionary for an hour and a half. And <laughs> and everyone's like, going, yeah, yeah, this is on. I was like, I'm, I'm looking around going, what? Am I missing something here? Is <laughs> So yeah, it didn't do things for me which um it, it wanted to and, and annihilation i think annihilation i have more problem with natalie portman's casting um it's it's, it's one of those things where tears every five seconds and she looks like she needs a sandwich desperately it's oh, yeah i just, I just um, want to bother her throughout that whole movie it's like just it's just, it's, oh. it's, it's 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 she elicits that feeling in me every movie she does Recently There's like yeah. maybe three movies I like her in. Um and one of them, she was like twelve when she made it, so I don't even know that it counts. Well, we so, Leon. Leon, yeah. Leon. I liked her in Leon. I liked her in Black Swan. Mm. And um I liked I liked her in Annihilation. Okay. You know. I mean I, but I've never been the biggest fan of hers either. Um, and she can be very, very hit or miss. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Um, it's funny you obviously mentioned about Parks and Rec because I've been getting into Parks and Rec. Um, uh-huh. I, I'd never watched it over, over here. And we just had a new comedy channel launched over here called Sky Comedy. And Parks and Rec okay. the lineup, so I've been been watching as it goes on, and I unfortunately had a bout of illness a couple of weeks ago, so I had all these Parks uh-huh. and Recs like stacked up, and it was like the only thing I could focus on. And unfortunately, the byproduct of that was I pissed my wife off so badly with it, she was banned me from watching <laughs> Parks and Rec. So I now have to watch Amazon. <laughs> She's like, Beautiful. "No, you can watch it one per night, and that's it. <laughs> You're not I, watching seven yeah. episodes." No, it's one of those things where I remember, oh, back in the 90s, I remember I got, like, really sick for three days, and it happened to coincide with Comedy Central doing a soap um, marathon. Mm. And I think I saw every freaking episode of soap, and I can, like, I I know all this stuff about that show that I I have no idea why I remember, but anybody starts talking about Billy Crystal's best roles, (laughs) and it's like, yeah, (laughs) Uh, but um, yeah, I'm on season three at the minute. Um, uh-huh. The show gets really, it, it shows it's only getting better as it goes on. I think Paul Schneider being dropped from the cast is only a benefit to the show as he was always the weak uh-huh. link. Everyone else is great in the, the things that they're doing. I mean, uh, Amy Poehler is just, she's another one for that weird crush list. Um, yeah, she's, um, she's very I've good. never been. Uh- I, I have to admit, I there is I've never been able to get into Parks and Rec. It was the show when, um, and it goes back to God. It was on before something. I think it was on before Lost. When I was watching Lost, I think it was the show that was on before Lost, right? Um, over in America, and it, it's just I have these weird, weird relationships with the shows that are on before shows I watch. Um, because I always end up touching the ten, last 10 minutes, so I have this weird... Back in the 90s, um, you know, I watched Highlander, and Highlander in the Chicago market always ran after Baywatch. So I ended <laughs> up... That's perfect, you know, really? You know, 
I, I did well. I ended up knowing, like, from just catching, like, the, M- the last 10 minutes of, like, an entire two seasons worth of Baywatch. Hmm. Like, I learned, I, I, I for a while, I was, like, a minor expert on Baywatch. Yeah. Um, and then the one that was really hilarious was, um, you know, Gordon Ramsay had a show, the show had the, the his kitchen nightmare, or as I like to call it, um, Gordon Ramsay yells at uh, poor hapless diner owners was on before Fringe when they moved Fringe to Fridays. Um, so I ended up seeing more um, Gordon Ramsay than I ordinarily ever would, would see. But Parks and Rec, from what I saw of it, it was um, a genial enough show with likable enough characters, but yeah. I never found it particularly funny. Um. It's, I mean, it goes, I mean, I wanted something because I, I watched the whole of The Office, the American one, which I think is far superior to the British one. I think that the well, characters are the, more developed and it's the American, one thing. The American version has um, a secret weapon, which is the absence of Ricky Gervais, who I've always loathed. Yeah. Um, I've always hated him. And, um, you know, he just, he's one of these, he just seemed, he's so smug and self-satisfied, and I just want to punch him in the face, mm. and I wish that they would get his, stop getting him to, you know, the Golden Globes this year made this, you know, in their infinite wisdom, they said to get him to host, so, you know, he, he goes up and does all this schmaltzy, this, not schmaltzy, but all this self-satisfied, he goes in his monologue, this self-satisfied, you know, kind of bullshit about, you know, yeah, I don't want to hear any of you celebrities like talking about politics. Nobody cares, and it's like, yeah, go fuck yourself, Ricky. <laughs> I know. I mean, it's, it's not to an extent. It's and I do want to say yes to an extent. They're you, you know celebrities in politics. I'm not a fan of that, but it's just like, yeah, you're nowhere near as edgy as you think you are, dude. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um... I mean, the cast of Parts of Rec, though, I mean, there's some really... It's pretty incredible who they got. I mean, they got, like, Aubrey Plaza, they got Chris Pratt, they got Adam Scott, who, I don't know, how does he not age? Is, is there, like, a bunch of clones of Adam Scott, and they're just swapping him out? Or has he got, like, goat it's, percentage? It's a, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's a prestige-type thing. The movie, the like, they were what yeah. they were doing with the prestige is that, like, the end of everything that Adam Scott does, they just kill him and replace him with the clone. <laughs> It's some sort of thing that goes, I mean, yeah, you're absolutely right about that. And, and he, he does play that sort of, he's on, um, he was on, uh, you know, the good place as well. The other, the other Michael Shuri show. So, um, but, but yeah, he was, um, he was great on, uh, the good place. So, yeah, I mean, I saw him in, um, like, I saw him recently in like Hellraiser 4. I mean, Hellraiser 4, that was like... Uh, oh, that's right! Is that's it? right, he was... Oh my god, I keep forgetting. Yeah, he was... Oh my god, I always forget he was in that. He was in the, um... He's the he's the guy that ends up creating, like, the female Cenobiters. He's the servant of the female Cenobite in, yeah. like, the France bits. And then he's still alive in, like, the modern bits. And I, I always forget that's Adam Scott. So, that's, like, back in the 90s. And then we obviously watched Park Rec, which is, like, 2000-something. And he's not aged. Uh-huh. He, he, he's so, it's, like, he I, never changes. He's the same. We, like, grow big. Well, I, it's, it's him, Paul Rudd. And Keanu Reeves, they all bathe in the they all bathe in the blood blood of virgins. 
Um, Conan Reeves, I'd say. Have you seen? Have you seen any of the promo photos or the production photos for the new Bill and Ted? It's amazing. It's like Alex Winter looks like thirty years on yeah. from Bill and Ted, and Keanu Reeves has a beard. And he <laughs> looks almost the same, and I'm like, Jesus Christ! Uh, yeah, I, I don't know what it is. It's it's one of those great mysteries of life. Um, obviously Nick Offerman is in it and just yeah just wonderful i mean he's also in a really great indie called hearts beat wild um uh-huh. which if you haven't checked out is his on netflix i believe still uh where he plays a uh-huh. record store owner who accidentally has a creates like a, a viral hit record with his his daughter and they they have this bond over music but it's just nick Offerman's just He's sort of like, um, I wish that he would like just narrate things for me. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. Just like, just like what's happening here in the production office. It's sort of like. <laughs> Elwood was a connoisseur of coffee. <laughs> his wife yeah. used to buy the bullshit coffee. <laughs> he likes to taste his coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Nick Offerman. Nick Offerman and Adam Scott, really, they should, they should be. If, if, Michael Shore should remake Pulp Fiction and yeah. find roles for Adam Scott and Gofferman in that. I was. This is the thing. There's two people I've always said that I wouldn't would love to do like um, voiceover work or just intro work for us here on the show. The first, obviously, being you know Mr. Jazz Radio himself, Bubba Wheat over Flight Tights and Movie Nights. Um, uh-huh. The other, obviously, being being um, Nick Offerman, who's kind of like, oh yeah. Um, Who's the guy, uh, the Marlboro Cowboy guy who was in um, The Man Who Shot Hitler and then The Bigfoot? Oh, um, 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 Sam Elliott or... Yeah, um, yeah Sam Elliott. Because Nick Offerman the, um, that the, the Sam cowboy. The, the cowboy, the cowboy, or as I always think of him, I think he's the cowboy from uh, uh, the, the, the Lebowski. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. The, Nick Offerman's the, in that same sort of thing. Maybe that's... Maybe that's another one I need to add to the roundtable list because I've always said like my roundtable list I would love to have would be um, Gonzo and um, oh I've just losing my mind tonight um, the director of Gremlins Joe Dante yeah Joe Dante and Gonzo opposite each other in a cigarettes and coffee self thing and I want to see Nick oh god their voices are so similar it would blow your mind <laughs> oh yeah. Um, and obviously the other one now obviously being uh, Nick Offerman and um, Thingy. Yeah. Just um, over steaks and whiskey. Steaks and whiskey. And, you know, then afterwards they'll build you some furniture. It's like, you know, so get the, you bring out the belt sander. Yes, these people, these people have forgotten more about power tools than I will ever know. <laughs> but, um... There's so many great, there's so many, with his character, they just seem to just have him, just let him do his own thing, and it somehow works. Like, yeah. Like, these little random um, <clears throat> moments, like, when he talks about, like, um, on his wall, he's got this, this picture of um, a woman um, with a breakfast plate, and he's like, this picture represents the two things I love in life, fine women and breakfast. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> yeah, he, they go to us in one episode. They're trying to cheer up um, uh, as his 
Asani's character, he's um, getting divorced. They tr- take him to a strip club to cheer him up, and he's he's no interested in like the women or anything. He's just happy they got a bre- an unlimited breakfast bar happening. And you just see him like the camera pans over to him, and he's like the hero holding up tongs of bacon with this like shit eating grin on his face. It's, it is the most important meal of the day. That that's all I have to say about that. You know, my uncle has this thing going on where he doesn't eat breakfast, and I'm like, how do you live? I don't know. <laughs> like, it, it's like, dude, bacon and pancakes and eggs, <laughs> and these are like these are like the best foods in the world. Yeah, I mean, I can miss like you know brunch and first lunch. Um, yeah, eleven, you know, elevens is and second breakfast and all that stuff. But it's like, yeah, it's like I breakfast, man. I need to no. If I'm like in a hotel, then and. Um... And they screw up breakfast, it just ruins your whole day. I just like, I like a breakfast bar so I can do some damage. Oh, yeah. Um, But also on the uh, sitcom front, I watched the latest season of Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I binged the whole thing as it went on Netflix Uh last month, I believe it was, here in the UK. Oh, cool. Because we got it in one thing, because we don't have it on any sort of channels over here. Um, Uh And um, yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't a bad season. It wasn't sort of any sort of standout episodes like the previous season um the, yeah it, it's the, the thing about the um, god who i think it was Vern just watched the um the one from the the the, the previous season finale and was yeah. just blown away by it and it was just i liked the finale for the latest season um i thought it i thought it had some great moments but the, the last two seasons kind of ended on some really big moments, and this one didn't really have that, and it didn't really have, I you know, a lot of it's just kind of slid out of my memory um, has, of the most recent season. Um, um, it's I don't necessarily think it was a bad season. It just wasn't. Uh, it just didn't. It wasn't as memorable for me. I know what you mean. I mean, I this thing I always in, enjoy it it's just i said there just wasn't that oh it was you know the season with that episode and uh-huh. I mean, i'm certainly don't feel like the show's done yet it's just the finale episode waiting for big mo where they're playing laser tag it just didn't seem like um it just didn't seem like the episode to end it on um it it was, and, and it's it's oh like i said it's a weird thing because you know the the way that the previous season ended with Mac and the season before that with Dennis, those were ones that really kind of blew up the show and really kind of made you think, I think about different, you know, it, it kind of made you in many ways, look at the, 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 the show in a different way, or at least it made me kind of look at it in a different way. Um, and I thought it was a, a really interesting achievement in, in a show that's been on for like, something like, you know, 70 or 80 years. Because I think this is like the 70th or 80th season that we're going on now. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's... um, I'm really impressed that, number one, nobody's died yet. Uh, and they all look the same. They probably take their beauty tips from Adam Scott and Paul Rudd. Um, <laughs> well, but, yeah, I mean, he has some... Uh, but Glenn Howerton, what is going on with uh-huh. him? He looks so unwell for, like, so much of this season, and it really threw me off. He looked um, like he'd just been dug up, and I wasn't sure he was sick or whether this was like another plot line. But he just looked really unwell for like the opening half of the season. 
Is it was the, the now the it was it the D Day episode this this year where they actually he they actually had to have Dennis go around in public without makeup and he looked basically <laughs> like a he looked like a poorly embalmed corpse. Yeah, which I thought was I thought that was that was one of the better. I remember that gag quite a bit, but yeah, I don't know. It just seemed like um, I don't know. I think D Day was D Day was a standout. Right. Um, DJ was a standout. Uh, Thundergun for Maximum Cool for Dolph Lundgren as Thundergun. It had that one had some bits that I liked, but I don't really um, that really one didn't really stick with me. But I like the I like the DJ one. I liked the, the film noir episode. Oh yeah, the janitor always mops. I like and I like that. And because I have a thing about women with short hair, I liked the the <laughs> penultimate episode where they're all arguing about women and, and getting the women's right to chop. Yeah, <laughs> um, which I thought I thought had some great bits there. Um, gang texts had some moments as well where they're obviously at the zoo. Uh huh. Um, and yeah, as I said, it was as I said from there. It's sort of like. I don't really remember. There's something about Dee and her cuckoo clock that just really cracked me up, though. I think it was just the perfect time. Uh-huh. She timed it so bloody perfectly. Like, Oh, yeah. It was, like, just so spot on. And just having, like, the fact that they just brought back all the D things, like, oh, were well, you going to reenact all my really questionable characters, like uh, Taiwan Tammy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Taiwan Tammy or her, or her, I can never remember the name of a character, but the Irish stereotype one. Oh, and the Latina um, one as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah. All of her, all of her racial stereotypes. Um, um, yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to season fifteen. I'm looking forward to um, Rob McElderry's new show, which is on Apple. Um, yeah, um, I don't have Apple TV, but I've been, I've heard some really good things about that show. Um, um, and maybe we'll, and maybe we'll finally get a show that gives me the same. Uh, you know, the same kind of vibe that my late lamented and not particularly mourned by anybody other than me, J-Pod. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think... Because I, think... I remember you You didn't even... I, I, I think I was the only person that liked that, because I even remember you mentioning it once, and I didn't remember you liking it. I watched the first five minutes, and then I, re- went, uh-huh. back, I went back and watched Silicon Valley. I was like, I got Silicon Valley, I don't need this. Um <laughs> And I, I mean, I like the book, J-Pod. I thought the, the book is, is fun, but like all his books, uh-huh. um, it, it, it follows its own rules of, of what reality is. Um, uh-huh. Like, I think it's Generation Y, um, which just basically felt like that little Britain skit where she just like, she's there dictating the books and then just like fills it in by going, wee. <laughs> and uh, like, or putting like gen- just writing bits of the Bible in just to pad it out, and that's what it felt like with that book. Um, uh huh. And then, yeah, as I said, I mean, he wrote Jen Douglas Copeland. Um, yeah, he also did um, another one as well, which I've. Uh, Microsoft was the one before it. Yeah, it was Microsoft. Microsoft. Um. Yeah, J Pod. Um. Yeah, J-Pod, Generation X, and Microsoft are the ones that I think really people remember. Um, um, I don't think I've ever read anything by him. All right. It's, I mean, he's writes good books. I mean, I got into him because I was looking... I was on the Planet and, you know, Brady Snellis kick of just, like, reading, like, 
those sort of cult authors, and he's kind of like Planet in many ways, but you know, lighter. Um, uh-huh. He's he's not as twisted, but he you know he has his own unique world view. So I don't know right. if, how they would play because I mean I enjoyed him in college, but I don't obviously know now that you know as aged Scotch loving folk whether they would still have the same effect. But I don't know I need to go back and revisit them, maybe read like some like Girlfriend in a Coma and stuff because I still have that on my shelf, but I never read it. And um, uh huh, yeah. Um. But the last thing that I've been watching, and it's kind of more of a rewatch, I've been rewatching the original Lost in Space. Okay. Because I've been showing it on the Horror Channel. We're on season one still. And, uh. Okay. That is so fun. It's, it's just. Oh. There's something. It's like a. It's not, it's not like, t- like junk food, but it's just very much comfort food. Um, and it does so much with so little. Which is what I really love about it because uh-huh. everyone sort of like commits to it. I mean, did you ever watch like the original Lost in Space? Or I watch. I haven't like seen it as an adult. Okay, but I rem- I watched it when I was a kid. Yeah. Um. It was uh, you know, on one of the syndicated, one of the indie independent you know, VHF UHF yeah. channels out here in the Chicago mar- market. They they ran it. They ran a lot of the. Uh, you know, a lot of the American, like, 60s and 70s genre shows like that, Star Trek, uh, Land of the Lost, a lot of stuff like that. They mm-hmm. ran it on pretty much a loop. Yeah. Um, um, I mean, it, for myself, I mean, it's really down to Jonathan Harris is, like, the real sort of stand uh-huh. as uh, <laughs> Dr. Smith. Oh, he's just, like, right. he's just, like, acting his ass off in, like, every scene. He's, like, either a sniveling coward or he's, like, a cunning... Um, schema. He just like he can just turn it on a dime. Okay, exactly. He's just like so fascinating to watch, and like no matter what the whatever this cast is working with, like they much like with the original Batman uh, series, the cast have like got this like very basic sort of set and props and bug-eyed aliens. It's all these things that really appeal to me and, and stuff. And yet they just, like, commit to it so fully so you just, like, totally buy into whatever random-ass premise is happening this week. But, um, I, I right. love it. It's just the fact it's, that it's so much Monster of the it, Week as well. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I remember I had that kind of, um, relationship, even though it was animated. When I was a kid, I, I had that kind of relationship with, like, a lot of the Hanna-Barbera adventure cartoons. Yeah. Um, like every single freaking iteration of Scooby-Doo. I remember I ate that stuff up. I remember, I, I honestly wish that one of these days somebody would do a serious reboot of Johnny Quest. Um, and it's one of the, re- one of these days, I guess I have to watch Venture Brothers. Um, uh, because I just, I just love that Johnny Quest formula. I don't think I remember a whole lot about the episodes themselves anymore because, you know, like I'm old as dirt now and, uh, y- you know, I'm, I'm, uh, we're talking about things that happened when dinosaurs roamed the earth and we only had four champ for, we only had three nationwide networks. Um, yeah. but yeah, it's like, I would just love to see somebody do like a, a reboot, like an actual like reboot of, of Johnny Quest. And it always kind of, you know, surprises people. Even to an extent, it surprises me that I've never rather bothered with Venture Brothers. Um, because, uh, you know, I just I just love that that format so much. 
But yeah, no, I, I know what you mean about having those really, really limited resources. Star Trek kind of has that vibe too. Like the original Star Trek, yes, it really does. has that. You know, here's some foam rocks and somebody in blue makeup, and we're going to, you know, we're going to, you know, you know, everybody's got to commit to this. Um, and that's what makes. Uh, I think a lot of that kind of like genre television, that sort of, you know, B-movie genre TV of that time, fascinating. Definitely so. And, um, yeah, I mean, there's so many like shows of that the period. I mean, you look at, you know, like Twilight Zone, Outer Limits, uh, Jet Voice, The Bottom of the Sea, Land of the Lost. The, you can just like look at these shows and everyone's like fully sort of committed to it. And I think, as I say, I don't know whether it's the fact that they're working in practical effects as opposed to uh-huh. CGI. Um, so you've got something to play off. But I think the right. fact that everyone's still like committing to it, you because they are, belie- are selling this believable situation to yourself, even though you can tell it's like polystyrene rocks and, and, and does some guidance. Uh-huh. It just sort of adds that level to it. And um, yeah, they're yeah. Just, just fun to see. They're just still really fun adventures that still hold up. So, Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, one of these days I want to rewatch those. Like, the one that I remember um, really, really liking was uh, Land of the Lost. Again, to the point where uh, it was something like, uh, you know, they did the Will Ferrell movie of that a few years ago. And it's like, yeah, I want to keep my memories intact to that. You know, what little memories I have. Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, I'm, they're, they're, they're fading now. <laughs> they're fading. My memories are fading. I'm getting old. And, you know, it's it's just like a... You know, it's a thing about being, you know, just looking back at your childhood and and, and stuff like that. Oh, I didn't know. I mean, Alan produced uh, Poseidon Adventure and Tower and Inferno. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He was like the, um, he was like really well known for um, those disaster movies. That's cool. And yeah, he did Time Tunnel, Lands of Giants. Um, mm-hmm. All my other stuff uh, I grew up with. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, this is it's funny because all these things had like such a impact on me as a, a kid growing up, and it's why I probably gravitate towards the stuff I do uh-huh. now. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, men in monster suits and it's, it's, bond- bugger monsters. And it, it's, you know, it, it's, I think it's why I, um, it's, I think it's why I responded to Doctor Who so much. Because Doctor yeah. Who, again, has that sort of, you know, here's some. We're, we're going to wrap your arm in bubble wrap and pretend you're a monster. You know, and it, it's just basically up to these, you know, classically trained Shakespearean thespians <laughs> to pull it off because Britain, uh, you know, British, uh, British, you know, television acting always was rooted in a more theatrical, like stage acting, than yeah. American TV was. I, um, but yeah, no. I always love the fact that Michael Caine's uh, excuse, like appearing in, like you know, Beyond Poseidon Adventure and the Swarm and Jaws of Revenge, is like it's like I've got Jaws of Revenge. Yeah, I've got a life that I've become very accustomed to living, and these movies allow me to continue that. Yeah, yeah. I I can't remember. I don't remember who it was. Somebody said something. Um, you know, something. Uh, I, I don't remember who said it. I don't think it was Michael Caine. They but they said. Something similar to the, I think it was, um, 
Yeah, I saw the movie. The movie was crap, but I enjoyed the house it bought me very much. Oh, yeah, that was Michael Caine. He was, uh, yeah, he said... Um, oh, that was Michael Caine, yeah. Yeah, he said, oh, I've not seen it, but I've heard it's awful. But I've seen the house it bought, and that's wonderful. <laughs> okay, yeah. Yeah, because um, William Castle had a similar one um, where he was supposed to direct um, Rosemary's Baby. And, yep, um, yep, he did, he was. They pushed for um, Polanski to do it, and um, they he was asked like years ago, like um, how he felt about you know Polanski replacing him, and he just basically pointed to his mansion up on the hill with a smile. It's like that's what I feel about the situation. <laughs> this is what it bought. Yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, William. Castle yeah, no, I've had a. Uh, I said, uh, you know, no, go on. I was just about to say, there's a great documentary called uh, Spine Tingle about William Castle, and it talks about how he just used to like being driven around. <laughs> so he uh-huh. smoked cigars, that was his thing. So. Yeah, I didn't realize that, that William Castle di- produced uh, Rosemary Baby and was supposed to direct it until there was a movie, uh, a book that came out about 10 years ago called Shock Value, which was kind of, it's about the um, kind of like the transition from like campy horror to like stuff like you know Night of the Living Dead and Texas Chainsaw, yeah, and Black Christmas and stuff like that. You know, I did, that's that's when I found out that uh, Castle wanted to wanted to direct Rosemary's Baby. Okay, on to the first of our picks tonight. We're going to start with the new people released in nineteen sixty nine. We're looking at the pilot episode of the series and. This is a show which we kind of stumbled onto as um, originally I was going to pick an episode of Lost for this episode and while doing the little bit of research trying to find the episode I wanted, um, I saw that they'd, the writers had been inspired by the show called The New People and I'd never heard of the show and did a little bit of digging and we managed to find a copy of the pilot uh, episode which I have to say I've, we watched some real grimy copies of stuff because you know some shows haven't been released so they're just like the vhs copy of like some generation or whatever we were we work with here but this was mm-hmm. this was probably the most washed out copy I've, i think i've ever seen but the fact they also had the adverts in it is just a, another treat to hold together as well so yeah yeah uh, a uh the you know like a, a relic from a bygone day when you had still had direct uh when still when you had um still had shows that were largely financed by one sponsor uh, in this case, Fabergé. Uh, yeah, and people really had a oh. thing for tinned, tinned juice in 69, it seems, because we had about three habits for Minute Maid and uh, other sort of tint grape juice I, and stuff. I, I, had, I, I had forgotten that we used to do that back in the 70s and 80s. Orange juice from concentrate. I forgot that we used to do that. You'd fill a pitcher with water and then yeah. you'd take one of these tin cans of juice out of the freezer and you just... You know, right into the <laughs> right into the corral. I, was, I forgot that we did that. I was watching it. I was like, I was watching it, and they just like drop this gelatin block in. I was like, that doesn't look appetizing at all. But the narration is like that Nick Offerman style narration, where it's like oh, a glass of juice and <laughs> <with> a pirates. No, I actually would rewatch that ad just to make sure that I actually ripped up an American somebody in an American TV commercial say flagon of juice. 
It's uh, it's pretty astounding. Uh, it's like making sure that if you watch the um, the bane of my existence, which is of course the Star Wars holiday special, if you watch it, <laughs> you at least have to make sure that you've got one of the ca- You have to make sure you've got one of the copies with the commercials because half the time they're more interesting than anything that happened in the actual special. It's a uh, it's a real real sign of where we were in the world when. Uh, when you see it, Owen oh, Tigress perfume, which was it was a really fun advert. Tigress perfume. I and I'm I rem, I was listening to the music of that, and I'm like, I, I honestly think this whole new people thing has to be a hoax. Okay. Because it's like that. That's I, I remember listening to the Tigress ad. I remember that's that's modern drum and bass music. I mean, for crying out loud, I'm I'm pretty sure, like, you know, Jack Dangers or Ronnie Sison represented that. You know, that's not, that's not, you know, that's not, like, contemporary. That music is not contemporary to that ad. Someone put that in. Someone put that crap in later. <laughs> um, um, yeah. <laughs> so, as I was saying, uh, New People, it was brought in by ABC as they were looking for something to replace the Avengers, which at this point have finished. And the pilot episode was written by Rod Sterling, who here is credited as John Phillips. And Rod Sterling, as we all know, is Mr. Twilight Zone. I might say. I always like to so sure it's yeah. like Twilight Zone or Out Limits. I always like, it's like, ooh, 50 50, which one it is? But yeah. <laughs> He, he, Rod, Rod Serling was the creator of, 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 of the Twilight Zone, yes. Um, and he, as I said, he wrote this pilot episode, but was really unhappy with how the studio basically handled it because he'd wrote it as a 60 minute pilot. They chopped it down to a 45, and he basically said that they turned his script into corned beef. So he just, the his only connection with the show was this pilot episode. And I have to say, this is. <clears throat> I really enjoyed this pilot episode. I think it was just such a a great setup for the concept and really made me sort of keen to see where they go with the series. It only ran for one season and 17 episodes. And it's essentially a Lord of the Flies style situation as we've got this group of kids who have been sent back, being sent back to America. They're on a sort of cultural exchange. But they've uh, turned out to be too radical on this uh, tour of Southeast Asia. So the State's Department are shipping them all back, these 40 students. And on the way back, they get caught in a severe storm and end up crashing on an island somewhere in the South Pacific. Now, they soon learn that this island that they crashed on was used by the Atomic Energy Commission as a testing site for nuclear weapons. And it's basically been left abandoned as like food and weapons and supplies and everything they basically need and there's a whole bunch of dummies everywhere because you know that's how you test nuclear weapons you put dummies everywhere um so they basically crash on the island and the uh left with one adult um who is a state's department official who Spoiler alert, only survives this episode and basically tries to install some morals in them. But, you know, kids being kids, they kind of embrace this opportunity to set up their own society and go kind of wild, as we see over the course of uh, this episode. As the key sort of characters start to sort of, like, come to the forefront and establish them. We see, like, the first sort of 
So first sort of murmurings of power within the group as certain certain uh, characters sort of try to step up and uh, assert their uh, dominance over the group. So starting off with Lucky, I mean, what did you make of the new people? Because, I mean, obviously it's got that oh. premise very similar to Lost there, hasn't it? It's, you know, actually, I, I from what I apparently heard, it's not that um, Damon Lindelof, I guess Damon Lindelof claimed that he had never heard of it. Um, when he created Lost, but he said, you know, the new people, if I had known that, that about this when I created Lost, he said, I, I would have, I would have named Charlie's Bass's band, the, the, um, the, the, the Dominic Monaghan character. I said, I would have named that band, the new people. Yeah. It, it's just, ah, uh, it's one of those things where it's like, I find this show interesting as a kind of cultural artifact, it is very, very painfully 1969. Um, I, I find it a little bit, it's, 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 you know, with Rod Serling is, is a really interesting writer. Um, you know, we can to talk about, um, the Twilight Zone for a second, he was very much uh, a writer kind of like of the idea um, of, of writing what he was writing had like socio-political themes in it. And this is really kind of like, um, and that that's really kind of like the show that, that Twilight Zone that people don't remember. I don't think as much about Twilight Zone as they remember the sh- the episodes like they remember the episodes with like a lot of the striking monsters like by the beholder or nightmare at 20,000 feet but there were a lot of a lot of the, the episodes that particularly ones that he wrote you know like i am the night color me black you know where that's i think that's the one where the earth is moving away from the sun um especially and it's getting really really cold and black especially in places like selma alabama <laughs> you know no, it, not even any remote, you know, no remote, you know, uh, you know, allegories there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to quote Stephen King, uh, just, you know, to quote Stephen King and to, when he was talking about Rod Serling and, and Don's Macabre, it's like, I actually, no, he wasn't talking about, he was talking about, um, he was talking about Harlan Ellison. I like fantasy, but I prefer it without, without, uh, you know, signposts telling me what to think about it. <laughs> Um, and that's really kind of what this show is. This really um, is like a Lord of the Flies type thing. I I, I really see, I you know I see this I definitely. I see the similarities in the Lost setup, but Lost. I I don't think Lost was trying to do anything even remotely what 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 this show is trying to do. This very much a a show about. You know, in particular, this this episode really just about you know um, the, the the generation the, the generation gap and all the gaps between people, and it's really the sort of episode where I don't know if they went on to maybe correct this issue, but my my basic issue with the episode is it doesn't have characters; it has walking embodiments of the themes, and people talk about the themes to each other. Um, and, and they, they, they put it in such, you know, they put it in, in, in such, you know, naked terms, like, you know, you have this, this, you know, thing where the plane crashes and everybody over the age of 30 dies, you know, well, that, that's a convenient, nice little cutoff thing. Um, 
And except for the Richard Kylie character who dies at the end of the episode, the the I Farford Nugent or whatever the character's name is. But you know, you have this whole thing where you know you have these characters and they're they're stranded on this deserted island. They hear a um they hear a plane going people trying to build a fire to get the uh, attention of the plane. And one of the characters, um, one of the characters goes and rushes to put the fire out because whatever happens, there was this altercation between him and the token black guy of, of the episode, yeah. um, who obviously is given a token black guy name and really only talks about all the, uh, you know, basically talks I think every sentence he states in that says in the entire episode has the words freedom march in it. Um, and for whatever reason, this guy is really pissed at the token black guy. So he, he goes and puts out the fire. Um, he goes and puts out the fire specifically. So the black guy won't get rescued. Um, and, and then obviously everybody turns on him and it looks like there's going to be a lynching and the black, the, you know, the, 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 the black guy whose nickname is like blade, or something like that. Bones. It's like a really like a cutting. Huh? He's Bones. What was that? Bones. It had kind of like this morbid kind of nickname. Um, and they're they're going to they're going to lynch the guy that put out the fire. And Richard Kiley shows up and gives this basically gives this soliloquy. You know, chiding practically like tone policing the character for saying it's it, you know basically saying yeah i bet if you looked i bet if you looked at your family tree you'd have more than a couple people hanging from it you know it's like you know your your people people you know you know your your ancestors have been lynched it's completely immoral for you, of you to be in this position where you're going to lynch someone else um that that sort of thing it's just really 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 nakedly preachy um, at least I thought it, it was very nakedly preachy and and kind of condescending in the way that a lot of um, a lot of drama from this area from this area from this era is that you're. I mean, one of the things if you try to watch any amount of um, uh, you know stuff from this era from this particularly from this you know the, like the late sixties is the idea that anybody under the age of thirty is pretty much a child. Yeah, and obviously. The the one character uh, other than Richard Kiley, the one character that's actually going to like live to see another episode, um, is this um you know this this Marine who was in Vietnam, and he's played by Peter Rattray, who is Devin. If you've ever heard of Devin Rattray, he's Devin Rattray's father. Okay. Um, Devin Rattray shows up in stuff like uh, uh, the last movie I saw him in. He was in um um Blue Ruin. Right. Okay. Good. But yeah, he shows up in a lot of stuff. Like you know, he shows up. He's like a minor character actor who shows up in a lot of stuff. You know, particularly you know American shows. He'll show up. Um, he was in like you know he he did an arc on you know Chicago Med did some Hawaii Five O. Uh, I think he was on the Tick. Hmm. Stuff like that. But it's it's just it's the sort of thing where on the one hand. I find it fascinating from a cultural standpoint. Like this is a, a really kind of interesting artifact of like late sixties, early seventies, social commentary drama. But on the other hand, I just, I, I, I really got frustrated with how preachy it was and how I, it just felt a little bit more than a little condescending. Um, 
Like it's it's the um, y- you know, Serling who had you know born in the twenties, served in World War Two. Um, I thought it was really hilarious the point when Richard Kiley couldn't get his cigar um, lit because Rod Sterling was a uh, a chain smoker. He smoked. This is the sort of thing you can only say about a man of Rod Sterling's era. He smoked five packs of cigarettes a day. Um, look at that kind of now, where you know it's like chain smoking is smoking like three cigarettes a day now, um, and died of a heart attack. And he was like, I think his late forties or early fifties, um, like in in the mid seventies. Um, but it, it's just very much like, it's just very, it, it just, there's a lot of feeling to me in this movie, of uh, this movie, in this episode of the, the guy, you know, the guy from the earlier generation pointing his, and wagging his fingers at the young, the, the flower children and said, now, now you make sure that, you make sure that your new society, it's going to, it's, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, there's going to be somebody saying in every episode it's like are we making something that's worse than what we came from you know um but yeah it's just really got that kind of i don't know i found it kind of cond- i found it fascinating on the one hand but condescending on the other I it was it's, it's a weird thing <laughs> it's it's difficult to say because obviously this being the first episode so obviously there's a lot of establishing uh, to it, and a lot, large part of this is setting up the different social groups. I mean, as you said, you've got the you've got the pacifist marine. We've got Bones, who's obviously the man of uh, the man of color here, who's obviously having to deal with like segregation and racism, and just the fact that he can't see this better world coming for himself. And at the same time, he's played opposite uh, the southerner Bob, who. Let's, I, you know, I hate to interrupt you, but let's, let's actually state for the audience at home who is not watching the episode along with us that the Southerner Bob, his name literally is Robert E. Lee. <laughs> <laughs> the, the character's name is literally Robert E. Lee. Just <laughs> not to put too far, be, because... Because, you know, there is nothing in, in, in terms of Rod Serling, there is no such thing as putting too fine a point on it. Well, I mean, it's kind of interesting that, you know, rather than the white guy leading the lynching, we've got the black guy leading the lynching this time. So that was kind of interesting. It's, it's, it's an interesting insight. It's not necessarily that I dislike the, the scene from a point of, of, you know, kind of like reversing the expectation. It's that you, yeah. you've got the wise, you've got the wise old white guy who's going to die at the begin at the end of the episode. Um, and, and that is just, you know, the most painfully obvious foreshadowing ever. It's like, because it's like, I have something, you have something like halfway through the episode, he tells like the rest of the survivors, you have something I don't have. What is that? Tomorrow. You know, um, just kind of like that, or or it's like, I was born old, I was never young, you know, yeah. stuff like, you know, he'd say stuff like that, but it was just like, you know, he, he, he he's the one who comes in and has to like, kind of like tone police bones, you know, which doesn't, it's, it's the sort of thing where it's like, I understand what Serling was trying to do, and to an extent, I agree with the point that he's making but on the other hand it's just it's one of those things that i'm sure it came off as really really deep 
1969, but now it really just kind of looks like the white guy pointing to, you know, wagging his finger at the black guy and, and tone policing. It's, yeah, and I think certainly with this one, I mean, they're obviously trying to set up conflict because the fact that they all come from the different ideologies, be it like in terms uh-huh. of like racism or just um, like pacifism, or we've got like the brainless footballer who's, and so yeah. Yeah, that great line is like, the only uh, enemy he knows is the ones wearing different shirts to him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That that that's a really good line, and I did appreciate that he's the guy that that seems to be the real. He's the one with the real racism. He's really the racist. It's not Bobby Lee, stock <laughs> southerner. Um, <laughs> you know, it's just it, we, I mean, dear God, that's like I, uh, I'm I'm that's that. From from now on, that's going to be my example of you know I, I'm just afraid people are not going to get the point I'm making here. How can I make it more obvious for the proles? You know, um, I love the fact that in the comments uh, section below this video, um, someone posted the comment. Well, that got our hands real quick because <laughs> it just seems that <laughs> that they they're all like sort of um, they're all sort of like got some sort of calm between them. They're all hanging out in the saloon because that's what. You know, you do when you rebuild in civilization is to go to the pub and get pissed. And obviously one of them discovers the, the ammo stash and he's like, oh, I'm going to go and take my revenge on the only black guy in the island by shooting him. And we have that uh-huh. great standout sequence and then obviously everything just goes to hell from there. <laughs> and yeah, and it's obviously we end with like, oh, what what do we do? It's like we call this year one, and the, we end with this idea that they're gonna reform a new civilization because the stupid uh, racist guy has managed to now basically eliminate their only chance of rescue because they are trying to signal an airplane that's flying over, and because they don't, the island's now been marked off as cleared. So uh-huh. by the end of the episode, we're sort of in this situation where they're now having to reform a society and over the course of the episodes that it's how these ideologies are going to play off against each other who's going to step up and be the leader and they deal with like many different sort of like themes it feels like very much like a teen show like the themes that sort of deal with like you know they deal with death and pregnancy sexism racism drugs violence as a episode where one of the more technologically um enabled uh, ones he like makes a dune buggy out of uh, bits of the plane and it causes discontent uh-huh. on the island um <laughs> i don't know they've got 17 episodes to film <laughs> um it, yeah it's just one of those things where it's like it looks like I, I mean i mean apart from this pilot and obviously if 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 rod serling disowned of this yeah and had no further um had no further connection with the show i don't I, I there's no real way of knowing without actually watching the the damn thing what they do with it but it's just like i i do find that kind of concept it's like okay well we've got to start over and form a you know a a, a new society and you know how are we going to do it, it it's not something that really uh, ever seemed to be you know, I mean, obviously, they were going to make the Lost comparisons here, but it never really seemed to me to be that that was something that, you know, Lost was all that interested in. Um, I think... Beyond comes- a certain point. I mean, beyond, beyond you know, beyond figuring, trying to figure out a way to fuel the 
love triangle between the three most unlikable characters on the show. Um, <laughs> I think, um, yeah, we've lost it's the comparisons to Lost. Obviously, is just the idea that you've got a bunch of people from different backgrounds and different paths trying to make a work in society on the island, and then obviously Lost went off in its random things it threw in time travel and smoke monsters and polar bears and all of that stuff that we really all loved for the first couple of seasons and then you know it it, it reached that division point where you know like yourself like went off and adored it and myself sort of thought oh no i'm done <laughs> and i need to go back it, 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 it's one of those things where it's like i will defend those the second half of Lost, you know, from seasons four, five, and six, I enjoyed it. Um, but I understand why people don't. I understand why it pissed people off. Why the direction that Lost? Because it, it Lost, and we really, we really, actually, what we got to do is it's one of those things where it's like I want to like kind of like revisit Lost. And like rewatch it, which would take like a year, yeah, because there's just so many damn episodes. It's six seasons, and there's just too much of the damn stuff. And it's not like a. It was never to me. It was never like a really breezy thing that I could binge, like uh, the Good Place or Star Wars Rebels. I actually have to pay attention to stuff and maybe even take notes. And then, like at the end of it, you know, like maybe later on in the year. You know, you rewatch Lost, I rewatch Lost, and then later at the end of the year, you and I can do an episode where we talk about Lost, and we just dedicate it to Lost, and and that that um, I mean, I you know, it just generally seemed to me that Lost just had a lot of problems baked into it, um, that um, particularly like people talk about the first three seasons. At least the, the seasons four, five, and six were a lot as, as random as some of that stuff comes off. Yeah. Um, at least it was tighter in the sense that, oh, God, I don't want to have. It, am I going to have another fucking filler episode about Kate? I hate Kate. I want, I, I want her to get eaten by a smoke monster. Do I have. Oh, okay, yes. Let's have her non-act against, yes, please, let's have Evangeline Lilly non-act against Nathan Fillion. Yeah, that's going to be, oh, wow. Yeah, this just proves my point about Nathan Fillion, that Nathan Fillion just really needs good material. He's not someone who elevates bad material. And he's, like, easily the worst thing about this episode, and I like him. (laughs) And he's worse than Evangeline Lilly in this episode. How is this even possible? It's like, oh, another Jin and Son episode. Oh, great. It's just like a Kate episode, except I have to read because there are subtitles now. <laughs> you know, it's just the first, first three seasons are very flabby. And season, you know, it, it, it's got these, at least that's my memory of it. If they're very flabby that you would, you've got these great little signpost moments. Yeah. You know, um, but just in order to get to them, you have to watch episodes about Kate and <laughs> her life before coming to the island you have to watch episodes about sawyer which i guess you know if you if you want to watch josh holloway take his shirt off you know that that's not really my type of thing but you know i'm you know to each their own but it it just really kind of felt like it just really kind of felt like uh it's like can you just get me to something that i can care about here 
Like, just give me a goofy, just give me like a smoke monster or a glowing hatch in the middle of the jungle or, I don't know, just have, I don't know. Um, can we please, no, God, can we please not have another episode about, you know, Charlie's addiction? Can we please not have an epi- another episode where Hurley is insufferably annoying? Um, <laughs> oh, what's it, the, who's the, the interrogator? Oh, uh, Saeed. Yeah, Saeed. Saeed. Naveen Andrews. I'm sorry. Saeed, we have this whole episode where he's like this top inter- interrogator. And he fails to... Inter- every time he interrogates anyone on the island, he fails miserably at it. And these aren't like, you know, others or like important people. This is like Sawyer. He fails to interrogate. <laughs> you have failed to interrogate Sawyer. And in response, Sawyer almost kills a character that you... Somehow this character is a major character on the show, despite the fact that you constantly forget she's on. You know? Oh, it's, it was it's that like, me. And um, I think that having a writer's strike in the middle of your second season really doesn't help either. No. Um, no, I mean... I mean, so there's at least a lot. Yes, there's a lot of bizarre, random stuff in seasons four, five, and six. But at least, and of course, my gigantic problem with Lost is episode one. The writers decide they have this amazing new character that is so fucking cool, and they're going to do all sorts of amazing stuff with this character. Except seven seasons episodes in, they actually haven't. Not they actually have figured out number one, this character sucks, and number two, we don't actually know what to do with this character. So let's let's just do it. Let's just have another man, random mass purge of the, uh, you know, of the, of the of the guest cast and kill these characters along with them. You know, Nikki and Paula, and then Alana later on. It's like. It's like even to the point where they're even where, where they even kill Alana in the same way they killed Arts, 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 Dan Roebuck. God damn it! And I know that I'm probably sounding like I absolutely hated Lost, but I didn't. But I, yeah, people who think it was I, I've never agreed with the idea that it was great in its first three seasons and then started to go downhill in the fourth. It, it always had some major problems. Well, it's all on Amazon Prime, so I will add that to the pile, and you know we will we will look at um, yeah getting that uh, that out, and we'll sit down and we'll, we'll discuss those. Yeah, yeah, that would be. It's something I've always said. I mean, been... wanted to discuss because obviously you're the big Lost fan here, and um, I never finished it. So it's one of the shows I've wanted to finish. So I will uh-huh. um, I will refresh and and uh, start over and and we will we will reconvene on Lost. Um, yeah, that's that's something I'd like to do eventually because I think I think it's a it, it, it looms so large mm. over kind of like the shape of TV over the last shape of like you know scripted television over the last 15 years and particularly with Damon Lindelof having gone on to do um um the show about the people you know what i mean the leftovers. um going on to do leftovers and then um watchmen mm. um which are two obviously watchmen was like the big thing of last year for you know, for that one in Mando were like the two big shows of last year. Um, but I know a lot of, I remember Robert Zerby going, I remember I was on the very first land, not I was on the first Lambcast, but the, the first TV special for the Lambcast. And 
we were talking about shows and I think I, as always I was at that point in my life I was just going on about how awesome Hannibal was and um, I remember Robert Zerby that was the first time he mentioned or someone mentioned I think it was the first time him or somebody mentioned the leftovers and I think that was the same time that I think I think I first heard about Rick and Morty when I did that as well yeah which is really weird because I remember I, I I I remember Robert mentioning Mick and Morty as well, so maybe that was two different shows. And I think that might have been more. Oh, that was that. I think one of those was the ones you were talking about the. Uh, buh, 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 and it was like the first podcast you and I did, and it was something in the something of Ultimate Evil. Oh, turn the book of evil. Yeah, the book yeah. of evil. Yeah, which is uh, a new book and evil were in there. Yes, yeah, on Shudder at the moment, and um. Yeah, that's another great show. But yeah, I remember that episode because it was has the longest edition of Last Lamb Standing where it's let's name Simpson characters. Oh, oh my God, yes. Oh, Jesus. But, um, and we were really, I remember, even to the point where we were getting to, like, I, I remember I was just waiting to, I was waiting for the opportune moment to whip Bort out. And um, believe me, that is the only time you ever want to hear people use the sentence, whip Bort out. <laughs> yeah, because I remember it was like um, it was the one that I pulled out, which you 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 were the only person who got was Senior Spielbergo. Senior Spielbergo, yes. So, but um, yeah, obviously back to the new people. Um, I, I mean, it's it's like Lord of the Flies sort of situation, isn't it? You, it's same as like every scout camp I went on. It was sort of like you leave kids uh, their own devices and chaos is going to ensue as as people basically re- re- sort of revert down to those sort of base beliefs and we sort of see the foundations uh-huh. of it in this episode and I mean I really I really liked this this episode I thought it was a lot of fun and um, I want to see the rest of the series I mean because um, there's certainly some interesting stuff in the, the synopsis I've read because I've not been able to track it down yet so I um will be interested to see where it goes and yeah I'm just uh I'm just I I liked what I saw I didn't find it boring as one reviewer at the time said but um yeah it, yeah I just it it's one of those where I it, it has it's it, it's very interesting and I was really actually found myself very impressed with the way it was filmed with a lot of handheld work. And a lot of um, stuff that just really did not feel like, I mean, yes, you had all the, the, the 60s fashions and, and Robert Kiley with his, or Richard Kiley with his, seven, with his, you know, 1969 mustache and, you know, girls wearing 1969 mini skirts with go-go boots and all of that. And yet sometimes the camera work just felt very modern. Mm. Um it, it just it was really weird and it just kind of weirded me out to an extent it's it's an interesting sort of thing but for me in terms of how interested i'm actually in it um i i, I look at it as at least this episode now like i said with with rod serling no longer being involved not presumably not having any uh having any input into the show after the pilot um I am kind of I, I I do find the idea of where they would have gone from here maybe a little bit more interesting, but to me, you know, I just I I it it, uh, it just seems extremely dated 
Okay. Um, and very much of its time, and I can't really. I never found myself taking it taking it seriously as like a a, a narrative. It, it just I I always had that sort of thing going on with it, where it was just like every so often it was just so painfully 1969 that. Um, it's it, so it, it, I just found it very hard to look at it anything other than like as a cultural artifact. Oh. Um, it's, it's very, I do think it's very weird that it hasn't, I didn't, had never even heard of it before you mentioned it in the previous episode of the podcast. Okay. Um, and considering that Lindelof is not exactly, he's very vocal when it comes to his influences, um, especially when you talk, you know, he, he and Q talk about Lost a lot and the influence of things like, you know, Stephen King. Like one book that they basically made everybody, we're talking too much about Lost again, but, you know, the, the whole thing is, again, keeping in mind, like how will, people will latch on to things. Like I've always argued that the main reason anybody today remembers Kolchak the Night Stalker is because Chris Carter would let everyone know. He would tell anybody who would listen about how much it was an influence on the X-Files. And it, it seems kind of weird that a show, even if it only ran 18 episodes, is that bizarre 45-minute length. Um, a, a show that was actually produced by Aaron Spelling and Danny Thomas. Um, that it still remains this um, obscure, uh, it, it doesn't look like any attempt was made to kind of, like, protect it. Um, I'm, I'm betting that these... Um, I, I'm betting that, you know, until kind of like the internet culture of, you know, digging every little obscure thing up and holding it back up to the light... Um, I'm, 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 I wouldn't be surprised if there were no episodes of even remotely broadcastable or releasable quality. Um, I, 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 I'm assuming that after it had its 18 episodes, nobody ever really thought that it was worth preserving. You know, it, it's just, um, uh, but as far as I know, I've never heard of it. I never heard of it before, you know, you mentioned it with, before the last, you know, in the last episode. I, I do think it's kind of weird that, it's re- managed to remain this obscure in a world where even time slip is getting a reboot now. <laughs> and yet, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, Big Finish are now doing time slip audio dramas, um, which uh, that would be. And that's the sort of thing on the one hand, I, I kind of think, oh, t- time slip. Let's let's do time slip sometime. And then it's like, yeah, that's another one of those shows that was like. Uh, you know, and you know, a serial of eight episodes, and I were, I just remember the time that we decided that we were going to watch the entirety of Dark Season and do that in the same episode as an entire seven-part Sapphire and Steel, and I think we broke poor Jake Lewitt. I don't, uh, yeah, I don't think that was the thing because we, when you 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 do show production and stuff, you think, oh yeah, I. 
it's fine. You you forget that people have got other stuff on their lives, not just to sit around and watch multi yeah. VHS tapes of like BBC shows just because it had Kate Winslet in it. And you feel that Jay needs yeah. to complete his Kate Winslet collection by watching these things. So well, yes, <laughs> but but never never did we ask the vital question: Does Jay think he needs to complete that? True. And and now that and now that he is married and has dogs. <laughs> yes, uh, yes. I, don't, I don't think he has children. I don't think he has children yet. But they have. He and his wife have t- at least two dogs. That neither of them, and I mean, I, neither of them are named J. Robert Puppenheimer, which I, 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 I have been telling Jay for years is the only, it's the only logical name to give a dog. Of course, um... but but yeah, um, Time Slip is one of those the, those shows. On um, you know, on the one hand, I. Uh, I, 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 time slip, I'm sure that it would be a fascinating subject for this show, but on the other hand, it's like everything, it's like, oh, no, oh, another eight-parter. <laughs> True. But, uh, yeah, I mean, in, in, in an environment, in a cultural environment where we've managed to dig up and, and managed to recreate, for, to some extent, stuff like Dark Shadows and Time Slip and all this, the fact that a, a show, uh, a major television show with almost the exact same basic premise as the new people managed to run for six years, even with Damon Lindelof claiming not to have heard of it, and for it all not to still be that um, obscure, yeah. I, I find that fascinating. I would see a review of the show. I would, I would totally check. Oh, out I would, I, I, I would too. Um, I and for some reason, I'm imagining the people behind the Purge doing it. I think they would really kind of dig the. Um, Yes, let's do some painfully pointed social commentary here. Or for that matter, I wish Rod Serling was still alive and 100 years old and he could reboot The Purge. I would like to know Rod, Rod Serling's The Purge. All right, I'm going to make a time machine now. Cool. Um, well, I think on that note, we're going to take a quick break. And when we return, we're going to be taking a trip back to the time when comedy on the BBC actually mattered as we look at uh, the gentleman. <laughs> okay. Hello everybody and welcome to the Cinema Recall Podcast here at ThatMomentIn.com I am your host, The Vern, and on each episode, myself along with a guest, we'll be talking about an iconic scene from a classic movie. Which films will we be discussing? Well, that's all up to you. Because before each episode airs, we're going to be giving you a poll of great fits to choose from. Whichever one gets the most votes, that's the one we'll be talking about. So, listen to the Cinema Recall Podcast on the site thatmomentin.com, or on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or Podomatic, or SoundCloud. Thank you very much, and hope you enjoy it. And we're back. Uh, obviously, in the first half, we looked at the new people, and now we're looking at cool British comedy, The Legal Gentleman. Uh, in particular, we're looking at the first episode of season two. Um, the show itself, if you're not familiar with it, it uh, first aired on the BBC back in 1999, the greatest movie year ever. Don't believe me? Come and argue it out with me. Um, and it ran for three seasons. Hey. Uh, 1999 gave us audition which is a movie I cannot fall, find any remote fault with. Give us, as far um, as I can tell, it, as far as I can tell, it is a perfect film. 
1999, this that movie, this throughout that year, you have South Park, you have American Pie, you have Fight Club, you have Being John Malkovich, you've got the greatest movie of all time, Cruel Intentions. Um, <laughs> that's the greatest film of that year. That is, you got Boondock Saints. But we're not uh, yes. for that. Uh, yeah, League of Gentlemen kind of came towards the end of uh, the BBC sort of dalliance with good comedy, and it's a show which is very much plays its uh, love of Hammer Horror and just horror in general on its uh, sleeve. The show originally started off as a BBC Four radio production before moving into a live, um, a live action series um the series itself based in a fictional northern town of royston vasey uh which uh, interestingly enough is the real name of the comedian roy chubby brown who will show up in season two as the mayor of the town i don't know if roy chubby brown made it over to the states but he's kind of uh, a big deal on like sort of like the the club circuit over here he's sort of like a uh-huh. blue comedian okay okay but um actually a really nice guy i met him in the airport and he's just like oh he's you he's, he's on stage persona and he's all like you know fuck and shit and sex jokes and very blue humor and then you meet uh-huh. him in real life and he's just like the most down-to-earth guy and then occasionally someone would like show oi chubby and he'd be just like yeah fuck off just in the whole like giving him the v's and stuff which people want from him it's the same way yeah. that when you see kane hodder you want to be throttled by him so. Yes, and <laughs> I, I have actually there. There actually um, is a photo of um, one of my former compatriots at, at Force Viewing. Um, we do have have a picture of her being throttled by Kane Hodder. <laughs> um, the show um, itself has uh, starred Mark Gaddis, Steve Pemberton, and Reese Shearsmith, and also had um, additional writing from Jeremy Dyson, who doesn't appear in the show. And this is a show which really. <laughs> ushered in a real vein of black comedy and I think a lot of people had not seen anything like it and I don't think we've seen anything like it since. I don't think any show has gone as dark as this one did, um, unless it's obviously associated um, with these writers. Psycho, so, so I was going to say, are you forgetting Psycho Villain Inside Number 9? Yeah. I mean, which um, obviously... But, but then again, those are... World. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, those are the, the shows that those are uh, Pemberton and Shearsmith again. Um, so in this first episode, where there's a lot of real sort of establishing uh, bits and bits and pieces. The main sort of uh, gist of this first episode is the fact that the traveling freak show slash carnival, um, run by the blackface Papa Lazaro, has rolled into town and. Um, the various residents are getting excited about attending, while there's also rumours of the special stuff being sold in the local butcher shop. Have they ever, did they, I don't remember, did they ever confirm that um, Mr. Briss's special stuff is human flesh? Yes. Because that's always what I assumed it was. Um, yes, there's an episode... I, I just can't... Where um, they basically, one of the characters goes out to, they they have this meeting out on the moor and they have this guy like, they see it on the horizon, this guy, and he's got like this weird primordial man with him, which it's assumed that they couldn't get into the special stuff. Uh-huh. But um, yeah, there's 
the the special stuff is um is this this secret meat that's being sold by the butcher which has the nasty side effect of causing intense nosebleeds as we see throughout this episode and uh-huh. Um, if you're obviously not familiar with the show, it's um, as I said, it plays up to its name as the um, our three actors here, uh, Buck Ellis, Steve Pemberton, and Reese Shearsmith, basically play all the roles, be it male or female. They essentially play them all, and a lot of these characters are just horrible, twisted, disgusting people. We've got, uh, uh, I mean, do you want to go through some of these? these characters or do you want to oh, sort of actual yeah um uh, so you know a lot of my i do have to say that a couple of my favorite characters um recurring characters they're not in this episode the uh hair lip is not in, in this episode the um the the gay german played by uh pemberton he's not in it and and neither is reese uh i oh god i can't remember the character's full name but it's jeff something the the really bittered work the really embittered guy that works in the office or something like that but you have most of the the, the main characters uh like the really like iconic characters are, are in this it, it starts off with uh edward and, and um uh tubbs tat syrup who are they um they're the ones that they own the local shop for local people. And they're this inbred brother and sister team who uh, they own a shop, but they never actually seem to want to sell anything to anybody. Um, and, um, you know, they're always pushing people out of the shop is screaming. This is a local shop for local people. There's nothing for you here. Uh, the other uh, Edward also gets the other main one of the other main um, uh uh, catchphrases the uh what's going on here there'll be no trouble here what's all the noise um you have um barbara uh who's uh the voice of us uh, pemberton who is a uh she's a taxi driver and uh at the end of season one she had a botched uh botched gender um not gender but botched reassignment surgery so she's no longer sure whether she's a man or a woman and Judging from the reactions of um, the uh, the little people at uh, Papa Lazarus Carnival, they're they're not sure what she what uh, Barbara is anymore either. Um, you have let's see, you have you have Hillary Brist the butcher and his special stuff. You have Pauline, uh, who is the um, uh, the the recently deposed, um, I guess, Führer of the. Uh, local job center she uh got deposed at the end of the first season um i believe what happened there was um there was a guy who'd been showing up that was like uh like he was like secretly there to like um monitor her performance and she's very abusive to people and she's always um insulting them uh including poor adult mickey who is um Mark Gatiss in a blonde mullet wig. Um, but there's this, uh, you know, so he's, he's been replaced at the job center by um, one uh, Kathy Carter Smith, um, who's just basically like Pauline, except she's meaner. Um, I'm trying to think. Oh, there's, um, the oh, God, there's, I can't remember his name. The, the Dentons. Yeah. Val and Harvey. Harvey? Yeah. Harvey, yes. Harvey, who, with his obsession with 
fraud with Toad. Sorry, I almost used the F word. <laughs> One of my favorite gags in the episode where somebody delivers a Toad to him and, and he's like, oh, we don't use the it's a toad, yeah, um, and has the these bizarre, um, it has these bizarre associations with toiletry and hygiene. He wants a a toilet seat that will close itself, um, and he actually apparently seems to um, uh, get it in this episode as well. And they have creepy daughters who are basically the twins from The Shining. They also um, got um, a normal nephew uh, played by Shea Smith called yes. Benjamin. Yeah, Benjamin shows up. Yeah, Benjamin escaped Royston Vazzy at the end of um, season one, but he's he's back, and he will, I'm sure, suffer more torments of the damned. But the, I, I've I've been talking around the the big addition to the to the the show's mythology, which comes here, and it's interesting that I guess he's only in four episodes, the character, um, but he really is like. The, I think the character, probably the most memorable character on the show, which is, uh, as you said, Papa Lazaru, who is sort of um, uh, Roy Reese uh, Shearsmith in blackface doing a sort of um, Baron Samedi routine, um, was apparently based on uh, a, like somebody that one of their roommates knew who would always um who who always thought that they lived with someone named Dave and would uh you know would always say stay there um but he's um that's how I I I actually was introduced to this particular show I'd seen a few episodes of Psycho Bill Bill before this okay but somehow somehow this show had managed to escape my attention entirely and somehow I had gotten a clip of the scene where um, the, I, 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 it, it's the most memorable scene in the entire show, which is the scene where um, Papa Lazarus just goes up to uh, like a random house in town and says, my wife needs to use your toilet. Um, and he's constantly calling this poor beleaguered woman, Dave. Dave, is that you, Dave? Um and then he ends up basically adding her to his harem through this whole thing where he goes, I, I guess, um, uh, he goes to the toilet at one point and one of his wives is played by uh, Mark Gatiss. He, uh, I think she's a character. I think that character like this was from the first season and kind of disappeared. And this kind of explains where she went. What, how that happened, if I'm remembering correctly, but I could be wrong. But basically, that he just kind of just collects these women and just adds them to his hair. I mean, he doesn't really seem to do anything with them other than to keep them in a cage. Apparently, occasionally hose them down. But his uh, catch is, "You're my wife now." And it's one of those things which is inexplicably at the same time it's hilarious. But it's also extremely creepy. Oh my and god! The just, scene where he, one of the, the scene where he breaks into the woman's house is one of the most unnerving yeah. moments of the whole series. It, it's one of the most. It, it's one of the creepiest things I've ever seen in any sort of filmed entertainment, whether it's a movie or a show or whatever. And just that balance of comedy and horror, and not necessarily like splastic horror gory horror like your 
um, Evil Dead 2 type horror, but that sort of gallows humor where it's really funny, but still deeply disturbing. Um, and it, I don't think the show ever, it's, it's, it's like the, the show is really good at that, but there's like a sublime, that scene is like so sublime and the show never really, there's a great scene later on in the episode. It's, it's more overtly comedic where they're basically, he's just doing this bad sort of cold read at the carnival with this this woman it's like okay, okay you're grieving for someone uh yes i'm grieving for my husband George. are you grieving for your sister mary no well good because <laughs> do you want to talk to your husband uh yeah the husband George. yes well you can't he's dead but i will speak and speak will speak through me and just this whole thing you know the, the, all this bizarre stuff it's it, it's just uh it, it, it's got this one of the things that and my introduction actually to this particular group of people like i said i'd seen psychoville but mark gatiss also is like really involved has been involved in doctor who fandom since like the mid 90s he did work for um the you know he, he wrote some of the big finish audios he wrote doctor who a lot of doctor who novels and you know, I was originally kind of introduced to him through that, and um, you know, this is a, a a a group of people that really their influence how they are influenced by like that particular vein of British horror, like um, the Hammer Horror and stuff like that. Certainly, there's elements of the Hammer Horror there, but you can see a lot of the American horror in there as well. I mean, there's obviously references to yeah. Shining, there's references to Salem's Lot. Um, there's even a reference to like the vanishing in like um, her lip, who's obsessed with right. um, the young boy who he's um, who's in the house he's sort of staying with. And one of the uh -huh. final shots of the season is basically where he's he's buried this boy alive with a snorkel to breathe through. Um, uh -huh. And you have these really sort of really dark moments, and certainly with Papa Lazaro again, the fact that. Um, at the end of this episode, he's chased out Royce and Vasey because everyone else is too weird for him. Which <laughs> is the most brilliant thing in the world. That I, I swear to God, I mean, he's the, like the creepiest character on the show, but it's like, yeah, these people are too weird. We need to go. And um, but yeah, I'm sorry. Go on. He reappears in like pre in other seasons, and he's got different schemes for keeping his wives. Like in season three, he's apparently storing people inside the circus animals. Um, in one of the, <laughs> in one of the specials, he set up a photo booth which drops women down into his wife mine that he set up. <laughs> um, I, I haven't seen the specials other than the fact other, I haven't seen the specials, but I have heard that apparently somebody utters the line. This town is a wife mine now. Oh yeah. It's a wife mine now. <laughs> and um, yeah. And the third season, he's disguised himself as the uh, work in the charity shop. Owner, so he's got like flesh color makeup up and there's a scene where his face gets scratched and it reveals his black face underneath. Which seems to indicate uh -huh. that this black face appearance is his actual skin tone. Um, yeah. But the whole time I'm watching Pablo I can't help but think back to our episode of uh, Operation Good Guys where we've got the uh, detective inspector in white face. Yeah. And I was thinking, wow, the BBC were really pushing the boat out of what they thought were acceptable in the 90s. Yeah. That's, it's a sort of thing where 
Yeah, I, I I watched that. I watched it, and it's hilarious. But it's just like I don't know if we could get away with that today. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's this is the thing. It's I think Paul Lander really tried to imitate what the show does in the fact that it just the show itself is like this running theme, running storyline throughout, and it constantly switches between characters uh, that make up this village. And we, each episode, we get a little bit more of the story. So you have like about six or seven plot threads that run for a season, and other characters just be like little one shots, like Papa Lazaro, um, right? And you have other characters who are just they turn up and they do their little punchline bit, like the vet who just happens to kill any animal he comes in contact with. And we see him yeah, in the next yeah. episode. He's like he's going to play the goldfish in the bowl game, but he like knocks down the table and kills all the fish. Um, yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's so funny when you, like, look at it, because a lot of this is just based on, like, over here in, like, the more rural areas, we have sort of these oddball towns where they're sort of, like, a little isolated uh-huh. from society. So they kind of run by their own rules. And the when it we talk about Tubbs um, and the, you know, and, um, and Edward... Uh, that was uh-huh. basically based on the fact that they went in some local shop in like some rural village, and the owner was apparently so horrified and offended by their presence in the shop that he basically chased them out, and that's where they got inspiration <laughs> for Edward and Tubbs. The pig uh-huh. nose, though, is uh, just down to Shearsmith. Basically, when they were writing, he used to um, amuse Pemberton by putting tape on his nose and paint the pig snout, <laughs> and then that's why they have that. Uh huh. So there's all these little bits and pieces that they've taken from, you know, the lives they lead, like uh, landlords and and bits and pieces. And I think just the fact that if you've been to like rural English villages, there's a lot of this sort of randomness that happens there because they're so isolated from the rest of um, on society. They sort of play by their own rules, so to speak. So you have these sort of yeah. well. characters that, that appear in these things. Um, whereas uh-huh. obviously at the same time it takes it to that 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 new level, it twists it in the sort of very macabre and black humour sort of way, which I think what made the show uh-huh. sort of stand out, but I think at the same time the show knew when to call time and I think when it comes down to the fact that when we look at the film where they made the cardinal sin of trying to put fictional characters into the real world which never works. Uh-huh. Um, I think they they just knew it was time. So I was glad that they entered it. Yeah, it, I, so. I I haven't seen the specials and I haven't seen the film. Mm. I I the film I, I kind of know to an extent what happens in the film. Um, I do have it, it's one, a film I've never gotten around to. It's not like I have a moral objection to it. I've just never gotten around to seeing it. I I do find it hilarious that apparently one of the the plot points in the film is a uh, is a um uh, like a hammer style horror movie that takes place during um god the jacobean era oh yes um the king's evil um it, it's just one of those things it's just like it but it's 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 um yeah it, it's not a premise i think that has a lot of I think there's only... I don't think it's one of those things that could go on and go on. Certainly, you know, the third season is, I think, the weakest, um, at least of what I've seen. And I, I have heard 
I, I heard the movie isn't too good, and I haven't. Re- I've heard the specials aren't too good. Um, but I'm not 100 percent sure because I've never seen them. Yeah, um, the Christmas um, special's good. Um, which again, it adds more to the Papalazaro mythos. Uh, which again, there's another really disturbing sequence in that Christmas special, which I think we may come back to. So I don't want to really talk about too much about that, but it goes into the history of the vet, um, whose name I can't remember. Um, Chinnery, Mr. Chinnery, not Dr. Chinnery, Mr. Chinnery. Yeah. Um, so he goes into history, history, and yeah, it's, it's interesting because it's like a, it's like three short stories. So it's kind of like a treehouse of horror, uh-huh. but you know, a Christmas special in their right. unique way. Um, I would just, but the, the other thing I really love about this episode is the little side bits, like the fact we got the um, old woman on her mobility scooter going down the road and she's holding up the fire truck. I thought that was really funny. Yeah. Um, the spinning... Um, the, um... No, go on. I was just about to say the spinning signs outside the shop, like outside the job centre, it says <laughs> Doe Scum. <laughs> Yeah. Now the one I really liked there was one, and I can't remember whether it was like a massage parlor or something like that. But oh, the yeah. spinning signs is blowjobs. Yeah. The one that I really liked was the flyer on um, was the flyer on the porta potty. Make huge pounds, contract killing. <laughs> oh yeah, because people keep falling out of the 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 public toilet. Yeah. <laughs> sure um, what's going on there, but. Uh, but yeah, just a lot of like those kind of random things. I, I, I remember I haven't watched like gone and like watched like the show full stop in a few years, but I just remember that all of the episodes are just between like the plots. It'll have these like little little things like um, just like you know random characters doing stuff or random signs or random flyers on on things. What's I mean? It's quite amazing. I mean, there's over a hundred characters in the show, um, and. Every single one stands out. No character feels like they're particularly there to fill it, and it just all somehow creates this rich tapestry of a life in this small rural town um, uh-huh. where just very bad things happen on a daily basis. And you have there's um there's two characters, and they're like initially you think it's like a um, an upper class lady and her cleaner, and uh-huh. they're just having these conversations and they're they're have such dark conversations where this cleaner highlight these flaws in this woman's family life, like the fact her daughter was bulimic and she was hiding cement bags of vomit in the ceiling and Yes, yes. <laughs> just point out these yeah, cracks. Yeah, I her, remember those characters, life. yeah. Um Yeah, and he said you had so many characters. So many and then they show up and that like I you know, we we had we didn't we haven't mentioned the women who run the or the women who run the thrift shop. Uh they also have a you know, they also have a bit in in here. But yeah, there's just so many characters that I you know, that thinking about that that didn't show up here that I, I and I, I can't keep them all in my head, so I don't I get I'd forgotten about those two the two upper class women. Oh yeah, um, I'd forgotten about them. There's, there's so many. When you start, when you remember all like the main characters, and you're watching, you remember all the small characters, um, such uh-huh. as like Kenny Harris who owns the dog cinema, or little Don who runs right. the, the zoo roundabout, which is just basically a pig, a goat, and a chimp. Uh, but all three uh-huh. are stolen by Edward to create this. Um, oh, this what's that mermaid thing called? Um. 
is a Fuji mermaid. He's he's kidnapped by um. He's a still, oh, a B, oh, a Fiji mermaid. Yeah, yeah Fiji mermaid. Trying to stop a road being built through the town, <laughs> so he creates this uh-huh. Frankenstein monster out of the uh, the roundabout circus. Uh, uh-huh. And then you've got like the joke shop owner in it, sort of like, oh, it's like, oh, you sprinkle this over his pubes and it gives him crabs. <laughs> and all yeah. these jokes are just really bad taste. Um, and even like some of the lo- the like the less over the top characters, like there's one character that shows up. I I think he's more. I seem to remember him more being a factor in the first season. He's not in this season, but he's this like a retired like glam rocker. Played by oh, uh, played by Mark Gatiss, and and just those bits are I've always found those bits to be hilarious because he would always kind of drop this stuff these these kind of like drop this stuff in here, and I'm a like a '70s music dork, a '70s music be- geek, and I would just um you know I would just always think yeah Mark Gatiss has done like research on this this is stuff like J- Mark Gatiss knows his stuff I always. And, you know, I've been saying for years that the the, the 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 story that I want to pitch to Doctor Who is murder on the Trans-Europe Express with, like, references to, like, where the Doctor meets, like, Kraftwerk um, and have the Doctor make Kraftwerk and David Bowie and Iggy Pop. But it's, like, only, I think that's the sort of thing that only Mark Gatiss could write. <laughs> but it's, yeah, it, it's just... It works on so many bizarre levels. It's it's got all these, you know. It's it it, it it it's a weird sort of mix of different. I mean, yeah, it's got like kind of like the dark humor and the horror humor and all of that. But it's just so many different kind of styles of doing stuff, and it makes it all really work. It really does, and it still sounds. I mean, I'm still always <laughs> astounded by just how well it all comes together. Um, you wouldn't uh-huh. think that there'd be any way to sort of string so many unique and interesting characters together into one coherent storyline so that when you step back and you look at it as a whole and you can see that every single character plays into each other's lives and it, it's not just the fact that they're just running like six storylines parallel to each other these stories interlude with each other and these characters interact and it is just this living breathing village that they've created for themselves at which point they can uh-huh. anything is possible because it's they they set out these rules where they basically anything and it will <laughs> happen uh, over the course of the show if they think that they can find a way to work in a horror reference or something disgusting then they um yeah they 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 more than likely will find a way to do it i mean even like the traveling theater production legs akimbo do like uh, just like so horribly twisted they're not fighting with each other they're like doing drug doing uh school plays about drug addiction and oh yeah no it's like it just got all this stuff in it you can only fit so much in an episode so it's so densely packed you know there's this one it kind of reminds me i know i've mentioned the good place a dozen a thousand times and it's a completely different type of humor but one of the things that the av club would do after a new episode of The Good Place aired, is just basically break down every single reference and all the stuff that happens in the background um, that you you that you might not have noticed. And there's just like kind of like a style of comedy of like television comedy now. Like um, a friend of mine was recently telling me about there's this one uh, I, like Community, which is another show I think we should probably do at some point. Um, 
apparently there's a, 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 a like a like a long running joke over one season of um uh of of of, of community where just one character just happens to say in passing like three times Beetlejuice and then somebody shows up in a Beetlejuice costume like Beetlejuice you know Michael Keaton from the movie and that's really kind of like the humor that this is it it's it's very it there's a lot of stuff going on it really it really rewards keen-eyed viewers rewatching it and, and kind of seeing how everything kind of fits together um just all sorts of these sorts of bizarre types of things like things that i'd forgotten like um again there are these two characters that do they didn't show up in this episode but they're uh if I remember correctly, they're like teenagers who are really into horror movies. And one of them is, and I'd forgotten this, one of them is named Henry Portrait. As in Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. And it's just like, just these bizarre things. And it's, it's just so, it, 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 this is like the first kind of example of this kind of humor, this like kind of like way of structuring and, and putting together like a comedy show that I've seen. And really the only type of stuff i mean you, you mentioned earlier that really about the only type of stuff that even people still make that's kind of like like you know it, it, it's completely unique there hasn't been anything like it except the other stuff that Penn and Shearsmith have done yeah um i mean we obviously talked about uh inside number nine on a previous episode as well and it as i said no matter what they do whether they're together or or just just sort of limiting the numbers. They always seem to have this this style of comedy that you associate with them, and it's. It, I think that's what's so great about them: the fact that they're able to just constantly adapt their style to to different things. It doesn't have to be the one thing, which I think a lot of comedians and comedy writers struggle with. That they have this i this comedy style that fits in with this one world, and they struggle to move it across. Right. Um. um and with it with this, that is one of the things. Then that's one of the things I really love about about Inside Number Nine is that they can they really Pemberton and Stuart Smith really do pull that kind of um, that anthology type thing off to brilliantly where they can do this, you know they have the, this kind of specific brand of like gallows humor or dark comedy but they can put a new twist and make it seem fresh every single time. Um. Just, to, to, you know, you can do so that you can do things with, you know, inside number nine where you can have an episode delivered, entirely delivered in iambic pentameter or another one done almost completely as a silent film. Um, yeah. It's just it's it's I, I don't know. I have a lot of I I have a lot of respect and just like a lot of I, I, I idolize these. These people are my heroes. Um, just so that, that's what I want to say. I want to I want to be I want to be Richard Smith when I grow up. <laughs> Um, well, I think it's Mark Gattis who's done a couple of series on horror uh, films, and he's like history of horror, and he did a history of Italian horror, uh, which are both uh-huh. uh, worth checking out as well, especially like your film history. Uh-huh. And um, yeah, they, they they these are guys who really love their horror, and it really shows throughout. Um, One, I've actually Jeremy been... Dyson. Jeremy Dyson did a book a few years ago that I have, and I, I still got to read it. But he talks, it, it, it's, um, he does a book about famous haunted houses in Britain, but he does it from the perspective of like us, because he's a skeptic yeah. about stuff like that. So it, it, it's really, I picked it up because it was him, but it looked like it's really kind of um, 
uh, approaches the subject from an interesting point of view. But yeah, anyway, go on. I interrupted you. Oh no, it's <laughs> just about to say well, this is why we've also been talking here. I just um, wanted to double check the special stuff, and apparently, it's not um human meat as the writers state that they can think of nothing more mundane than cannibalism the popular fan theory being that um being that the substance apparently runs with drawstring which has led some to believe that special stuff is circumcised foreskins uh bris is also a yiddish name for brit muller and i kept thinking that i yeah obviously i keep now that i think about it i always I always wondered if Briss was a the, the character named Briss was a deliberate circumcision reference. Yeah, so circumcision. Um, well, <laughs> the fans. Well, here are here are two. Go on, sorry. Oh, no, I actually, just have an exclamation to make at the end of this. Yeah, I just say well, the fans basically say believe that the special stuff is sausages containing cocaine enclosed by foreskin sausage casing. So, so here are two sentences, two more sentences. I'm pretty sure that nobody has ever heard before. Number one, we can think of nothing more and more mundane than something more, nothing more mundane than cannibalism. And number two, I wondered if that was a deliberate reference to circumcision. So yeah, uh, um, so <laughs> there we go. There's a another thing, but it's one of those still great unsolved mysteries like where is springfield uh-huh apparently the clues are all there it's wherever you want it to be yeah um so yeah that's um i still don't have a definitive answer on the special stuff i thought it was people but apparently that's too mundane and in the world of legal gentlemen i think that's one of the few places where you can actually say that something is too mundane um yeah I, I, yeah, no. As as weird as a sentence as that is, it's absolutely correct, and I, I totally get what they're getting at. That it's just it's just not ultra enough for this particular environment. So, um, yeah. Um, anything else you want to talk about this one? I think I think uh, yeah I think I've, I've said it all. Well, that brings us to the end of another edition of TV Good Sleep Bad. We hope you've enjoyed listening as always. And, Lucky, what did you want to discuss for the next episode? Oh, so we're going to discuss the next... Um, my, my pick for the next uh, episode is, is it's something that I've been threatening to talk about on this show, mm-hmm. um, on the podcast, ever since we started it. Um, yes, it's taken me four and a half years, but yes. We are finally going to discuss Blake Seven. Fantastic. Um, we're we're going to do uh, season three, episode six, uh, "City at the Edge of the World," um, with uh, two guest stars. Um, and if you don't know who these people are, these names I'm about to give you, uh, fix that immediately. Go go look up. Uh, go look them up on. Uh, Wikipedia and see what else they've done and watch that this is an episode co-starring Valentine the great Valentine Dial um, also known as the Black uh, Guardian from Doctor Who also known as about uh, a couple of voices from the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy radio series and the main guest star and I have some stories about this the main guest star is one Colin Baker the sixth Doctor himself so, uh, yeah, we're finally going to talk about Blake 7. 
Cool. Um, well, it ties in very nicely because my pick for the next episode is going to be the second episode of Joss Whedon's extremely cult favourite, Firefly, as we're going to be looking at the episode The Train Job. Um, so, yeah, we're going to be uh, checking out some Firefly. Yeah, uh, that was... um. I remember um, the first time I watched Firefly, like I got, actually, I think I got to this episode, episode two or episode three. And the person who was, you know, introduced it to me, uh, asked me what I thought of it. And I said, I like it. It's just like Blake seven, except gritty. (laughs) So, so, oh yeah. And I, I really, this is, um, yeah, the train job is, I remember the train job being an episode I was really happy with. Um, and it has, it has been a while since I've, uh, uh, revisited Firefly, so, um, so yeah, oh, this is a, this is a good, uh, this is a particular good team up here. Ooh, I'm excited. I'm so excited and I just can't hide it. <laughs> Fantastic. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, well, thank you as always for listening. If you haven't done already, please do hit the like and subscribe button. Maybe leave us a review as it helps raise the profile of the show. And, uh, if you want to come and hang out with us you can do over on our facebook page uh where we post bits and pieces as and when they appear and uh yeah let us know what uh, you like to hear us cover on the show we always love to uh, hear recommendations people and if, especially if you've got obscure shows that time forgot we uh, especially love to hear those so uh but uh until uh, next time uh thank you as always for listening and thank you to my co-host lackey thank you And uh, we'll be back next time talking about Blake 7 and Firefly. Good night.